It's one of my favorite scenes in a movie. It's an old movie. It's the movie Alamo. It's the one with John Wayne playing Davy Crockett. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. But there's a moving scene in it when the men that are defending the Alamo realize they are vastly outnumbered and reinforcements aren't going to make it in time. And so the leader, Colonel Travis, gathers all the men together and he gives them an option. You can leave now or you can stay and fight and defend probably to your death. And Colonel Travis takes out his sword and he draws a line in the sand. He says, if you're going to stay and fight, cross this line. And one of the fighters was a man named Jim Bowie. And he was very ill at that time. And he was laying on a cot. And to lead the way, he gets two other men to pick up his cot and take it across the line. You can imagine what happened next. All the other men cross the line too. It's a powerful scene as they decide to stay and fight in the Alamo. Well, this morning in our text, we're going to see Joshua, the leader of Israel, draw a line in the sand. He, he's calling the people to choose, to choose whom they will serve. And we see this in Joshua chapter 24. So turn there with me. Joshua chapter 24. We've made it to the last chapter of this book. You might think, well, you preached on chapter 24 last week, so this is probably the last sermon in chapter 24. You would be wrong, all right? I'm going to preach this morning. Got one more sermon, I think, that we're going to squeeze out of Joshua next week. But we've come to what is probably the most well-known passage in the book of Joshua. and We'll begin reading there in verse 14. So I want to ask you today if you are physically able to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Joshua 24, verse 14. This is Joshua speaking. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we study this passage of Joshua drawing a line in the sand before his people, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would draw that same line and that you would call us today to choose, and that we would leave today knowing where we stand in our relationship with you and in our commitment to you. So have your way in our midst. As the word goes forth, Holy Spirit of God, 
would you capture our hearts with its truth and incline our hearts to to respond to what you show us. May we see the precious name of Jesus lifted up during this time. And may we leave today surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And we will thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We begin Joshua 24 last week, and this is the last speech Joshua has for all the gathered people of Israel. Joshua knew he would die soon. He was advanced in years, and so he wants to share some final words with Israel. And the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 13, are actually words from the Lord directly to Israel through uh, Joshua, who was functioning as a prophet. As a matter of fact, it says there in verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord. And so verses 1 through 13 are the Lord's words to his people. Uh, And basically these words are words of reminder to Israel of how gracious God had been to them. And then in verse 14, we see a a transition where Joshua begins to speak to the people based upon what God had just said. Verse 14, Now therefore, fear the Lord. Therefore, in, in light of what you've just heard the Lord say to you about His grace, now you ought to respond by serving Him. Last week we saw that when people understand how amazing God's grace is, they will choose to serve Him. That's the point of this chapter. And and the Lord is saying through Joshua, I have been so good to you. I've been so merciful to you. I've been so loving to you. I've showered you with my grace. Why would you choose to serve anyone else? That's the point. And so we've we've thought together about God's amazing grace. We talked about that last week. And, And now we're going to see this line drawn in the sand where Joshua says, based upon what the Lord has said concerning His grace, it's time to make a choice. Will you cross the line? Will you serve the Lord? And what we see unfold in this passage uh, are four challenges, four challenges that Joshua gives to Israel that we certainly can apply to all of our lives in here today. So I want to walk you through those four challenges as we think about, again, that line drawn in the sand. Here's the first challenge for Israel, for you, for me, uh, the first challenge for us to consider. You ready? Choose the Lord or choose foolishness. Choose the Lord or choose foolishness. A lot of people don't understand what Joshua says in the verses we just read together. Verse 14, Now therefore, based upon the amazing grace of God, He's been so good to you, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Joshua here calls the people to fear the Lord. He wants them to remember who God is. And the proper response of God's people is to, to fear Him. David Jackman writes, Fear is to be the underlying response to all that the Lord has done for them thus far. What he had done in Egypt, to Sihon and Og, and to the alliances of Canaanite kings was awesome, even terrifying. Yet, fear here is not a paralyzing horror, but a reverent awe. It is the proper attitude of a redeemed sinner before a holy God. 
a, a humble submission that recognizes that he is God and we are not, and that therefore submits every area of our lives to his authority. So he's saying, God has shown his grace. Your proper response is to fear him, not a terror of the Lord, but a reverent awe before the Lord. A reverent awe in, 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 in light of your relationship with him. I heard Adrian Rogers say recently that the fear of God, I love this, is love on its knees. It's a great uh, uh, definition of fearing God. Love for the Lord, but reverent on its knees before the Lord. And so Joshua calls the people to, to fear God, to have this awe and reverence for him because he is holy and righteous and just. But then Joshua calls the people to serve the Lord. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in, it, and in faithfulness. In other words, if you are rightly related to God, it'll show up in your life. If you fear him, you will serve him. The Bible knows nothing of someone that says, I fear God, but does not serve God. If someone does not serve God, then they surely do not fear God. See how that works? If someone truly fears the Lord, then it will show up in their lives. If, if someone has given the Lord their heart, it will show up with their hands. Serve the Lord. So he calls people to fear the Lord to serve the Lord, and, and he wants the people to understand as he, as he makes this challenge, he wants them to understand that they cannot stay neutral. Verse 15, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And so he's saying here that you cannot stay neutral. You've got to choose to serve the, the Lord or serve other gods. There is no middle ground. You say, well, what if they don't choose? If they don't choose, they've made a choice. If they don't choose the Lord, they've chosen not to choose the Lord. Therefore, they've chosen to serve other gods or other things. And you need to understand the same thing. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ left the splendor and glory of heaven, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God and fully man. And Jesus lived a perfect, matchless life. And Jesus came, the Bible says, to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus, of his own volition and will, went to the cross, and on the cross, he became sin for us. He took your sin, your iniquity, your failure. He took my sin, my iniquity, my failure, and he put it on himself. And on the cross, the Bible says that Jesus died for our sins. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. We have sinned against a perfectly holy God. We deserve God's wrath, but Jesus came to this earth to take God's wrath for us. And after Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was buried. And early on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. He defeated death itself. And he says, I love you. I died for you. I've defeated the grave. Now you must choose. And there is no middle ground. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And First Peter says it like this. Jesus will either be the cornerstone you build your life upon or he will be a stumbling block. 
that you will be destroyed by. It's just that clear. Just like in these days, the days of Joshua, there's no middle ground. You choose God or you choose against him. You either choose Christ to follow him or you choose against him. There is no middle ground. You say, well, I'm going to wait on that. You've made a choice. I'm going to stay neutral. You've made a choice. I'm not ready yet. You've made a choice. You've chosen to reject the finished work of Christ. You've heard of his love. You've heard of his mercy. You've heard of his grace. You said, no, thank you. You've made a choice. But Joshua wants the people to understand they cannot stay neutral. And this is where it gets really interesting. The choice that Joshua presents is between the Lord and two false gods. Did you catch that? Look what it says in verse 15. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. He says, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So here's what uh, Joshua says. If you don't serve the Lord, here are your options. You can serve the Egyptian gods that you remember from the days of captivity in Egypt. Or you can serve the Amorite gods, the the gods of this land that the, the pagan Canaanites worship and serve. So if you don't choose God, choose one of these idols. You say, why would Joshua say that? It would be foolishness to reject God and choose between idols. That's the point. Joshua was saying, if you don't choose the Lord, you're going to choose something very, very foolish and destructive. So take your pick. You can choose Egypt's gods or the Amorite gods, but whichever you choose, it will be utter vanity. You see, that's the choice. It's not between the Lord and something else. It's between the Lord and foolishness. Because every other road leads to destruction. There is no other religion, there is no other person that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. There is no other worldview that can capture your heart with true joy, true peace, true fulfillment, true meaning. There is no other way to be reconciled to a holy God other than Christ. So if you don't choose Jesus, I don't care what you choose, it's going to be foolish. And listen, it's going to end badly. It's going to end badly. Because those that know Christ will experience eternity in heaven with the Lord. Those that do not know Christ, regardless of what path they chose in life, they will spend eternity separated from God in that awful place called hell. And that's not preacher talk, that's Bible. It's what the Bible teaches. And so, the choice that Joshua presents is between the Lord and two false gods. You will either choose to follow Jesus or choose a foolish path in life. There is no middle ground. Just like in that movie, you either cross the line and fight or you leave. There's there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. And so the first challenge in this passage is choose the Lord or choose foolishness. The second challenge in this passage is so critical, and it is this. Keep your family in mind. Keep your family in mind. Look what it says in verse 15. 
If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, now, if Joshua said, as for me, I will serve the Lord, that would be powerful, wouldn't it? That'd be powerful, but he didn't stop there. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's saying, I'm making a commitment to serve the Lord, and I'm making a commitment to point my family to the Lord. As he makes this commitment, as he crosses this line, he, he keeps his family in mind. Now come in close. Is there any greater need today than that of Christians keeping their family in mind? Is there any greater need that we take this challenge as our own? It's not just about me. It's about me and passing on the truth to my family. We're called to keep our family in mind, just like Joshua shared. The Bible teaches consistently all the way through that God desires to save individuals and then through those individuals save their families. There are many examples of this. Noah's an example. God saved Noah and then through Noah he saved his family. They, he got on the ark with his family. Acts 10 is an example of this where Cornelius... The Roman centurion hears the gospel from Peter as God providentially arranged that meeting. And the Bible says that Cornelius understood he was about to hear good news from the Lord. And so he gathers his entire household and his entire household believes. How do you know that? Because the Spirit of God fell on everyone there, the Bible says in Acts chapter 10. And so God saved Cornelius and then through Cornelius, God touched his family. Acts chapter 16. Lydia hears the gospel from Paul and his missionary team and she takes them to her home. Later in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer is saved in a moment of crisis and, and, and he goes to his house and his household hears and believes because they're baptized. We see God saving individuals and then through those individuals touching families. And that's still true today. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're to bring our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're to teach them the things of God. My story is a story of God saving someone and then through that someone saving his family. Because before I was born, my parents were unsaved and unchurched. She got through college and, you know, had jobs and young family. And one day my dad was outside in his yard raking leaves. And this pastor comes walking down the street, Baptist pastor, just knocking on doors, Jerry Sutek. And Jerry Sutek meets my dad and shares the good news with him. And right there in his front yard, my dad gave his life to Jesus He went to the church. He was baptized. My mom started going with him. She heard the good news. She was saved. She was baptized. So shortly thereafter, when I was born, listen, I was born into a church-going family. That's grace, isn't it? God saved my parents, and then through my parents, I heard the gospel. That's how it's supposed to work. 
We're to keep our families in mind. And the Bible teaches, the Bible demonstrates the danger of neglecting the spiritual condition of one's family. It's dangerous not to, not to be an instrument in God's hands to touch our family. In fact, look what it says over in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It's talking about Israel in the days of Joshua. It says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation, chapter 2, verse 10, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And so, somewhere down the line, the families in Israel stopped passing on truth to their kids. Now look what happened next in verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. What happens when a generation does not receive truth about the one true God? They forget the Lord and turn to other gods. They turn to idolatry. They turn away from the Lord. So there's great danger in neglecting the spiritual condition of one's family. If you do not pass on the truth of God's word, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ to your kids, they will find something else to believe in. They'll find something else to pursue. They'll allow something else to capture their hearts. So we've got to be like Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I read an AP article on Friday. Here's the title of the article. Holy Spirits. Closed churches find second life as breweries. And I began to read. With stained glass, brick walls, and large sanctuaries, ideal for holding vats and lots of drinkers, churches renovated into breweries attract beer lovers, but can grate on the spiritual sensibilities of clergy and worshipers. At least 10 new breweries have opened in old churches across the country since 2011. And at least four more are slated to open in the next year. The trend started after this 2007 recession as churches merged or closed because of dwindling membership. And there's an example. At the Church Brew Works in Pittsburgh, an early church-turned-brewery that opened in 1996, patrons slide into booths crafted from pews. Towering steel and copper vats sit on the church's former altar. Yellow flags line the sanctuary emblazoned with the brewery's motto, On the eighth day, man created beer. You know what we need? We need grandparents and moms and dads who will draw a line in the sand and say, not on my watch. The next generation is not going to forget about the Lord on my watch. 
My grandkids aren't, aren't selling this building to a, to a brewery on my watch. They will, they will hear about the Lord from me. They will hear the truth from me. There will not be a generation on my watch that, that rises up and does not know the Lord. We will say along with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so the first challenge in this passage is choose the Lord or choose foolishness. The second challenge is keep your family in mind. The third challenge is count the cost. Count the cost. Verse 16. The people, back in Joshua 24... It says, the people answered, far be it from us that we, would, we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. That sounds great. Joshua says, serve the Lord. People said, we'll do it. It's time for the invitation, right? Let's put on just as I am and, uh, and have a public commitment of this decision they're making. But Joshua says something in their, to their, to their uh, commitment. Joshua said in verse 19 to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. <laughs> what? He could have had a crusade there with thousands of people saying, we'll serve the Lord. He could have had them raise their hand. Hey, if you're going to serve the Lord, raise your hand. In an emotional moment, probably tens of thousands would have raised their hands. But Joshua doesn't do that. He challenges them. Look what he says. You're not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. People said, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They said, we are witnesses. Fast forward down to verse 26, or verse 25. Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. What is going on here? Joshua says... As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose the day whom you will serve. People said, we choose God. And Joshua said, wait a minute. Not so fast. Don't you understand that if you enter into this commitment lightly, and you don't really mean it, and you end up choosing other gods, the consequences will be devastating. And people said, no, we'll do it. And so Joshua says, here's this, this stone monument I'm going to set up. And he says, this stone has heard your words. If you ever turn from God, we can go back to this place in Shechem and say, this is where the people committed to the Lord. And they violated their commitment to him. He's calling them to count the cost. Dale Ralph Davis writes this. 
Don't lightly mouth your profession of faith, Joshua is saying. Don't you realize the sort of God you are dealing with? He is a holy, jealous God. You don't dare come to him thinking, though it makes him sad to see the way I live, he'll always say, I forgive. Joshua seeks to put down that blathering self-confidence that makes emotional commitments rather than shutting its mouth and counting the cost. Joshua here is saying, don't just make a, a, a commitment in the moment. Understand what it means to say, I will serve the Lord alone. He wanted them to consider the implications of their decision. And in like manner, the Lord wants us to consider the implications of following him. So that, listen, our decision is real. It's not an emotional decision, it's a real decision. Let me show you this over in in. Luke chapter 14, and I hope I wrote this down right. Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them. Now, now just think about the context for a minute. Jesus is in his public ministry, preaching, teaching, and he has great crowds following him. This would be a good time for Jesus to say, hey, let's tweet about this, put it on Facebook, and how God's blessing my ministry. Look at all the people. It would have been a good time to turn in a, a denominational report saying, hey, look how many people are following me in my ministry. But he doesn't do that. Look what he says next. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? Jesus, you're trying to get big numbers, aren't you? Why would you say something that that piercing? Jesus, of course, is not saying hate your family. He's saying that in comparison to your love for Jesus, your love for your family will look like hate. There's that much difference between your love for Christ. In other words, Christ should be number one, even more important to you than your very family. And then he keeps going. Look what he says next. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and it is not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You think maybe his crowd decreased after that? Hey, as long as you're wowing us with miracles, we're in, Jesus. As long as you're blessing us, we're in. But all this commitment stuff, uh, not so fast. Where you're truly Lord of every area of my life? Uh, I'm not, not so into that. And Jesus here in a very pointed way says, count the cost. Before you decide whether or not you're going to follow me, consider the implications for your life. Because when you turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ and receive that free gift of eternal life... The Lord enters you and begins to change you. And because he has every right to change you, he's going to take possession of every area of your heart. 
And he, listen, he's going to deal with some stuff. Maybe some stuff you don't want him to deal with. But he will. And he's going to call you to, to lay down some things you shouldn't be holding on to. And he's going to call you to obedience and service and surrender. That's what it means to follow Christ. So back in Joshua 24, he's saying, understand, I'm not calling for some emotional, hand-raising decision. I'm calling you to count the cost. Do you, do you really want to follow him? Do you understand the implications for your life? You understand, don't you, that people can make emotional decisions without considering what it means that Jesus is Lord. I'm not against emotion by any means. The Bible is full of people that are emotional about the Lord. I'm not, I'm not calling you out in, in just terms of emotion, but if emotion is all you have, it won't last. It won't last. When I was a youth minister, we went to, uh, to a camp, and uh, you know Thursday night's the big, the big night for camp. kind of builds up, and Thursday night's the emotional night, and and uh, man, every one of my students, they were just weeping and crying. And, and there's, this, there's this time afterwards when you, the, the youth minister gets to kind of meet with those students um, after the, the worship service. And so they were weeping and crying and going forward and all this. And, and, and I brought them back to a little room and we had a time to talk to them. And, and I just sat there until they stopped crying. I did. And now I was, I'm, I'm running against them crying. I wasn't, I wasn't opposed to crying. I think it was good that their heart was touched by the Lord. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to say anything until they were through, through crying. And then when they kind of gathered themselves, collected themselves, I said, Now, what does this really mean for your life? How is this going to affect things when we get back to school next week? Or the normal routine of life or in your family in other words, I wanted them to count the cost. Because that's what Jesus wants us to do. Count the cost. And so we've seen the challenge here to choose the Lord or choose foolishness. We've seen the challenge to keep your family in mind. We've seen the challenge to count the cost. But fourth and last, we, we see the, the final challenge. Serve the Lord from the heart. Serve the Lord from the heart. Look what it says back in Joshua 24. And I love how this verse is in here to balance out this, this call to commitment and, and keeping the word of God and following the Lord wherever he leads. Look what it says in verse 23. He said to them, after they said, we're going to choose the Lord, then put away the foreign gods that are among you. So this means that probably there were remnants of idol worship all throughout Israel. And they were kind of wanting to have a foot in, 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 in both, on both sides. Yeah, we're just about the Lord, but we also like this idol worship stuff. And he's saying, if you're truly choosing the Lord, you'll put away your idols. He says, put away the foreign gods that are among you. I love this next phrase. And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. That word incline in the Hebrew is the word natah. It means to extend, to stretch, or even to bend. The word inclined captures the meaning in this context. He's saying, listen, if you are truly deciding to follow the Lord, make sure that your heart is bending towards Him. 
Make sure that he has your heart. Joshua didn't want the people to think that serving God was merely external rule keeping. If you just come to the temple when you're supposed to come to the temple and give the alms, you're supposed to give alms and bring the sacrificial animals when you're supposed to and, and observe the Sabbath like you're supposed if you, to. If you just all do all the right stuff, then surely you'll be right with God. That's not what Joshua was saying. God wants your heart. When we begin to measure ourselves by external rule keeping, it's dangerous because here's what we begin to do. We begin to measure our lives not according to what the Lord has called us to. We begin to measure our lives by other folks. And here's what we say. I'm a better rule keeper than they are. So I, might, I must be right with the Lord. There are things I don't do that person does. I must be right with the Lord. There are things I do that person doesn't do that you're supposed to do. So I, I'm better than that person over there. When in reality, you may be keeping the rules, but your heart is far from God. And that's possible because over in Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God desires obedience, listen, that overflows from a heart of gratitude and love. In fact... When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? We want to make sure we're checking the boxes, Jesus. So tell us what the most important commandment is. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, on these two commandments hang the entire law and prophets. In other words, if your focus is rule keeping, then your heart will stray. But if you love the Lord and your heart is overflowing with gratitude for who He is and what He's done for you, you'll see yourself keeping the rules as an overflow of a heart that loves Him. You see the difference there? And by the way, that's a lot more joyful. You ever serve the Lord when your heart wasn't in it? It's miserable, right? But when you serve the Lord because you love Him and you're grateful for Him, it's a huge difference. Joy, fulfillment, meaning, purpose. And so God desires that obedience that overflows from the heart. So you're in church today. Praise the Lord. You need to be in church. Here's my question. Does he have your heart? Does he have your heart? Is your heart in love with the Lord? Or are you just going through the religious motions? It's a challenge. Bend your heart toward him. So here's the point of the sermon. Here's what I want you to walk away with as we've thought about these challenges from Joshua to the people that we can certainly apply to our lives. Choose to fear, serve, and love the Lord for your good and the good of your family. That's what this passage is all about. Choose to Fear, serve, and love the Lord for your good and the good of your family. God is gracious. God loves you. And he wants your life. He wants to save you, and he wants to change you, and he wants to use you.
And this morning, what you've experienced, listen to me, you've experienced the Holy Spirit of God drawing a line in the sand. Now you must choose how you will respond. 